Welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Inspiration, insights, and ideas for your business and your journey. Hi, and welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Today is the first day of the rest of your life, so make it a good one by listening to our guest today, Katia Campbell. She's a PhD, she's a professor, she's an innovator, she's an educator, and she's on the show today. Welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Thank you so much, Betsy. How are you today? Well, I'm so happy because this is the first of our MSU Denver deep dive into some of the personalities and the stories behind the scenes at MSU Denver. And, you know, people see large universities and, you know, and it's so big, but they don't know that the big university is really the thousands and thousands of teachers and alumni and students that each have great stories. So we are so happy to welcome you to the show today and to dive a little deeper into you your passion, your purpose, and what brought you to MSU Denver. Excellent. Thank you. So, you know, I look at all your accolades, and and when we were talking before the show, you said something like, I picked up a master's along the way, (laughs) you know, between undergrad and grad school. But I'm curious, like, to people who have a lot of education and choose to teach and be professors, go back and tell me a little bit about where you grew up and some of the influences that got you so excited to be the you that you are today. Yes, that's a, that's a great question. So I was born and partly raised in Colorado, and then I moved to Louisiana and spent a significant part of my um, young my my childhood in Louisiana as well. Um, all of my family is from Louisiana, so I feel like I was lucky to have the two different regional cultures as an influence because Colorado, as we all know, is very different than Louisiana. So I got to experience two different cultures at an important time period in my life. But I will say that in terms of influence, um, what I saw between the two states was a lot of race issues and racial tensions. And so I did grow up with that. And I saw that um, not only within my Black Creole community, but also, of course, between races as well. And um, my family members always, my mother and father always taught me about my history, even when I didn't necessarily learn about it in school. So that was quite inspiring to me. So I learned at a young age how important it was to really understand who you are, where you come from, where your cult, where your culture is, um, who the people in your culture, um, how they've influenced the world around you, and so that kind of cultivated me. And so by the time I got to high school, I would label myself as an activist. By the time I was in high school, wow! And so tell me about education in Louisiana in the day, right? Like, yeah. was that segregated yeah. schools? Was it you know what kind of environment was that? Yes. So um, the schools were a bit segregated, but in general, what stands out to me the most is my textbooks. And for instance, I still clearly remember reading about the quote unquote happy darkies in my textbook. Yes, I know. Right. And so that's what uh, slaves used to be called because um, in, in order to justify slavery, even in our textbooks, they would say things like the writers would say things like the slaves were well taken care of by the plantation owners. So they were happy, they were singing and they were working and they were happy darkies. And so I clearly remember that. And I'm not, I mean, it's, it wasn't that, that long ago. So yeah. Um, 
But I remember, I remember that as part of my, my textbook educational experience in Louisiana. And, um, and then just the, the whole, um, tension between light skin, dark skin, when it comes to the black race, not quite fitting in with people who are white, not quite fitting in with people who are um, darker skin. So it was definitely um, a, a little bit of tumultuous time, but I learned to navigate and, and develop my identity and understand who I was and what it meant to be um, I don't call myself mixed race. I'm, I have two identities. I have two, I have an ethnic identity, which is Creole and a racial identity, which is black. And so I'm very comfortable with that. Wow. Well, and so, you know, just talk about opposites because we always tell the truth about the show. So I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh-huh. right? And it was super, in the 1960s, right? I was born in 1961 in the early, early seventies. And we didn't have diversity really in Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, there maybe was, you know, one African-American family in our school. Maybe there was an Asian family. Um, It never seemed to be a thing too much, but it just, because in the neighborhood we lived, we did not have segregation. We did not have busing. We just had the people that lived in the neighborhood. Our really divisions in the school were the kids that acted out and were, you know, crazy and smoking pot and breaking and entering. It was the kids, the like dark side of the track kids versus the kids that I hung out, which, which are the leadership kids, which we're doing the fundraisers and the school float and all that. So we seem to have lines on um, choice about how you were acting and how, you know, disruptive you were to the establishment more than on race in the 1960s and, you know, early to mid seventies in Indianapolis, Indiana, where literally even my food choices, we had wonder white bread with American cheese. I mean, like we didn't even have a quesadilla help me growing up because that would have been a foreign food because my mom just grew up cooking what her mom cooked, which was American cheese on white bread. You know, it's like, and I look back as an adult and go, wow, it was so, um, you know, it was what it was. I didn't know it was unfortunate. I couldn't have a a mix of any other influences just because we didn't, you know, but it wasn't an anti. Um, I had friends, whoever the friends were, they were just friends because they were the friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And whereas I grew up on, on gumbo and. Yeah. (laughs) You would have thought, Ooh, who would eat (laughs) white bread with American cheese? That would be so terrible. I'd have to put hot sauce on it. Yeah. See, I wanted Italian. So there you (laughs) go. Like we're all embedded in what we grew up in and we always want something different, right? Yes. Yes. And then did you continue? Did you finish high school down in Louisiana? When did you go to college and where? I moved back to Colorado in um, eighth grade. So I moved to Louisiana in elementary school and then moved back to Colorado in eighth grade and went to Martin Luther King um, Junior Middle School out in Green Valley Ranch in Denver, Colorado, then went to Montbello High School. And then um, went out to University of Chicago for a year. And I did not like Chicago very much. Not Chicago. It wasn't this. It's not that I didn't like Chicago. I did not like the weather. Coming from a sunshine state like this and going to a place where two weeks of solid smog and no sun and 
it was very difficult for me. So I transferred to the University of Denver and I finished my undergrad there. And then I was accepted. I had a really great mentor by the name of Darren Hicks, who got me into the field of communication studies. And I was accepted into their their, their doctoral program from an undergrad. So I was able to graduate undergrad and then the next year start my doctoral program. Because wow. at that point, they had a joint MA-PhD program. They don't have it anymore, but they used to. And so I was able to do that. Well, uh, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, as I told you. And then I saw Northwestern, right, because I was graduating senior and in University of Chicago. And I said to my parents, wow, I think I want to apply to Northwestern. And my dad then replied, you can go to a state school, IU, uh, Purdue, Ball State. Those are your choices, right? Because we were very middle class and I'd worked at McDonald's since, you know, I was 16 yeah. to pay for my college. So I ended up going to Purdue University, but um, when I, it's excellent school. And I, when I moved here, though, I never knew weather could be like Colorado because I grew up in Indiana with the gray wow. skies and the brown snow and the smog and the, you know. So when I live here every day, I say, dear God, thank you for the Rocky Mountains and the blue sky. Because... <laughs> I never saw that growing up. It was just so gray in that Midwest and so humid. Chicago. Yeah, it can impact mood for sure. The oh, yeah. Okay. So then you came out here, you're in Colorado and you're getting all these advanced degrees. And so you had this mentor, but what else along the way really kind of said, you know, I think this is my life work, this, this kind of studies uh, and, and bringing this to a classroom. Yes. So um, I should go back a little bit when I said that I identify myself as I, I as an activist in high school um, because I went to a predominantly black high school and we were, gosh, how can I say this? There were so many negative stories written about us in the newspapers all the time. And, um, and, and the way that they characterized us, it was just really negative. And so I would write a lot of editorials and I would get engaged in um, really standing up for the school and, and, and bringing awareness to what the school was really about. And so anyway, carrying that into college, um, studying the art of rhetoric, that's what really pulled me in, understanding language and understanding how language constructs our reality. Um, that fascinated me. I saw how power operates through language and how language operates through power as well. And um, when I talk about my scholarship, I'm a rhetorical scholar, but I specialize in cultural studies and media studies. So I'm really fascinated with how language, both verbal and nonverbal, influence the way that we see the world, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we interact. Wow. Gosh, when I was in college, all I could take is speech class. Ah, yes. You know, I mean, like 1981, 79 through 83, right? Yeah. We didn't have rhetorical studies. We didn't have the study of media and communication. But I will say one thing you and I have in common. It's very curious. When I was in college, I could have taken American history, but I was finding it extremely boring. So I took Hitler in 20th century Germany instead because I wanted to study the big lie and the use of propaganda. Because to me, I could not as a human being understand how one evil person could affect that many things, who could control that many lives, who could kill that many people, who could create that whole, I couldn't get it. And I was fascinated by studying that. So that would probably would have been, you know, in my day, studying what you were studying. Like I wanted to understand how this happened and why it could never happen again. Um, So that was my senior year study and was fascinating. You know, he went to the beer halls 
And he promised all the poor people he would feed them and give them alcohol. There you go. So they that, said, we're in. Yeah. And then he got them in and then said, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill everybody you know. Yeah. And they were stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that it's I teach a techniques of persuasion class. And so what you just described about going and meeting people where they are, it's part of tech, it's a part of persuasion. And it's a way of, um, of really kind of, ev- uh, in a way, attempting to even the playing field so that you're meeting people where they are. But then, like you said, once you get them, then you can, that's a manipulative aspect, but then you can get them to do what, what you want them to do, basically. Oh gosh, or hopefully not. That yes. was just, you know, that was a very traumatic time. Um, yeah. So we are on Boost Power Podcast. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You are listening to Boost Power Podcast with your host, Betsy Weersma. We are part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Enjoy these true stories and proven business tips for your business and your life. Now, back to Boost. Okay, we're back. Katia Campbell is a rock star and she's super smart and awesome and has been led to a life purpose that I think is good for this world. Amen. Of really talking about something that I find fascinating and I totally am in her court about just how we see the world through words and through the language and how power uses that and for good and for bad and all kinds of things. So tell us how did you find your way to lucky MSU Denver here in Colorado that your time and talents can be devoted to these students? Yes, you used a keyword there, lucky. I feel so lucky that uh, a tenure track position opened up. I was working at University of Colorado Denver, which is an excellent school, um, working on a postdoc position there when a position opened up at MSU Denver. And so I applied for the position and and got it. And I did not know at that time a lot about MSU Denver. Now, of course, I'm um, so embedded. I've been there for going on my 12th year. And love it so much. My my kids have actually, I would say, in a way, my kids have grown up at MSU Denver because they come to class. They've come to my classes so often. They love the school. My daughter's starting in the fall. So um, it is just a, a fantastic place. So I, I ended up just applying for a position that that opened up, but it just, it, it happened at those perfect timing. It was when I was looking and, um, and actually sometimes it's hard to get a position, a tenure track position in the state that you want to be in. And I was already living here and was able to get a tenure track position in this state, which is, that's why I say lucky was, is a good word to use. Well, you know, I believe everything's on purpose for good. So I think it was natural and great for Colorado, especially with your experience and your perspective. And so tell us a little bit about what kind of students take your classes? Tell us a little bit, because a lot of people listening are like, I don't know anything about MSU Denver. So um, tell everybody a little bit about the school, just so they have a context, and then kind of where you teach in the school and what kids are studying that are taking your classes. Yeah, so MSU Denver is one of the most diverse uh, four-year institutions in Colorado. So that's one, one aspect of it. And we honor and recognize that. And we honor it by not just saying, hey, we're diverse. We also bring in the equity and inclusion piece because it's one thing to say, oh, we have diversity. We have the numbers, but not actually meet people, not, not meet equity issues or inclusion issues. So we have programs designed to meet the needs of our various students, our veterans as well. Um, 
So we, we have diverse. And when I say diverse, I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about age, um, sexual, sexual identity. Uh, let's see, like I said, military status, veteran status, that those kinds of, so we have a diverse population in, in terms of that. With my, um, my department, I work in communication studies. And so, like I said, I specialize in rhetoric and media studies. And the kind of students that take my classes, of course, are our majors, but I also teach a most, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, the communication and diversity class. And that is a general studies class. So I do get students across the university taking that class as well. The students, I cannot say enough about how fantastic and fabulous they are. Um, it's a joy to work and to teach. I learned so much and I know that it might sound, people might hear professors say this a lot, that they learn as much from their students, but I, I truly do. I learn a lot because students there, they at least uh, the last stats that I read, at least half of our students are working at least part-time if that makes sense. So when you think about that, they're bringing their work experience. They have families. They're bringing all of that experience into the classroom. So it brings a rich discussion. And what I often say to my students is that the material that I teach, they know it at a certain level. They just don't have the language for it yet. So they know how power operates, but they just might not know that word hegemony yet. <laughs> and I don't so. know that word. So, okay, so we're going to stop here to learn a new word, everyone. Okay, okay. Can you please uh, say hegemony and tell us what that means. Hegemony. So it is, um, it's a theory of how power operates where I think the most fundamental way of explaining it is that we have people in power and we have subordinate groups. But the way that it works is that subordinate groups give their consent or they're complicit in the power structure, even if that power structure is not necessarily working for them. And we're complicit and we give our consent for so many different reasons. It could be because we don't know any better. It could be because we want to gain something. Um, so, so many different reasons. But then the third aspect is that because we give our consent, we can choose not to. So we can always choose to resist that power structure and there's always possibility for change. Awesome. And so it's, it's, I think it's fascinating. And I think about that in terms of our media environment and how, um, how sometimes we resist certain cultural representations in popular media. And um, we don't, we're, we say we're no longer going to be complicit in this. And so we try to fight back against the way maybe women are represented or particular races or sexualities. And then they're, they're asked and then they change because of that. We've seen that happen. Right. And then people keep the power of their purse, right? Because they can say, I'm going to support a brand that yeah. is more what I believe in. I'm going to support, you know, people that align with war, more of what I believe in. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I'm trying to apply it all to my camp experience world because we have these 5,000 women that have come together over these 15 years and they know that I'm leading this education, inspiration, connection and do good and have fun. Then yeah. they have the choice to say, the way I want to express in this is I want to donate socks or I want to help the homeless or I want to, you know, I mean, they find ways, but we don't have a doctrine for say, other than do good, have fun, love people. What's your next question? You know, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty easy one. It doesn't cost anything to join. Everybody's involved. You're loved. What's your next question? Do you want some love? Come in. Here's some free love. And it's fun. Because I don't have to be a corporation and I don't have a power that I'm hungry for to be a yeah. grassroots collaborative leader because I can say, great, and now let's get 
you know, here's somebody who has something wonderful to do. The Samaritan house moms need purses on Mother's Day. Who has it on their heart to do a purse for a mom that you're never going to meet that doesn't have anything, you know? So it's, it's, it's then action because I'm just, I want to go to your class now because then the action is for me, opt into whatever expression you have. Exactly. Do good and have fun, but get support in doing it. Yes. And I love what you just said, because it sounds like you are a connector and a facilitator as well, right? So you put people together that are doing great things as well. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's, I want to do like a, I want to do an article with you because I also would be curious when people don't want the power, like power hungry power, but like me, I like empower, right? So my leadership is like, if I get you and hook you to this, you bloom, that blooms. And my fun is watching that. Exactly. Instead of being like, I will tell you who is happy. I will like, everybody wins. How do you want to win? So, so I want to be in your class. Let me know if like old people can come because I'll sit in the back. (laughs) I mean, like who's that student? I don't know. I think it's that Betsy girl. There she is. Well, I will definitely keep you posted about the dialogues too, because you can, you can join those as well. So that would be really fun. Well, I can definitely tell your passion and your purpose is to bring this good work to the world. What are you excited about right now? So, you know, here you are, you've got your tenure you know, yeah. so you've got some things going, but what's next for you? So I am excited about, so I just mentioned you uh, inviting you to dialogues is that I started a dialogues program at MSU Denver. And, um, and it was to answer this issue of how is it that we can engage in civil discourse across different cultures? And how do we deal with conflict in a way that is um, productive? And so I, I went to the University of Michigan intergroup dialogue program, and then um, a team of us went, and now we're all working together. I work with the Dean of Students Office, as well as my department for this program. And so, for instance, the whole summer, we um, designed a summer race series, and how do, how do we talk about race? So it was everything from how do you talk to your kids to how you talk to your coworkers to how to talk to your family and friends. And um, in the fall, we'll be doing a whole dialogue series about cancel culture, which is going to be fascinating, I think. Fascinating. And so, yeah, um, we, we talk about food insecurity. So there are so many things that we have discussions about, but, um, but we're looking to branch out more and open to the broader community outside of MSU Denver. And we do have sometimes people joining us from outside of MSU Denver. Oh, great. Well, the, we are the perfect group to, um, you know, because we are your partner with MSU Denver. So that's a perfect group to out, reach out to. And I will personally take a role in helping to get people to know because it's, it's, it's what you don't know, you don't know, right? Yeah. It's, I don't yeah. think anybody I know is trying to do it wrong or is trying yeah. to, to not be sensitive or is trying to to not, you know, but I think a lot of people just don't have resources they can trust, like a university and professors that study things that's real, that isn't just, you know, just somebody's opinion that they're broadcasting with who knows what agenda. I mean, I think it's so refreshing that we have MSU Denver, we, we can have really, like, if you can help the world have productive conflict, yes, honey, you're on the front of Time Magazine. <laughs> not only you're going to heaven with Gandhi and Oprah and all the good people you're on the front of time magazine. You are the innovator of the year because that, you know, I love America that we actually can have opinion. I love that about America. I just I want to give people the skill set and how not to hurt each other doing it. Like yes. just find yeah. ways everybody can, can get it out and do it, but let's have some people help us um, have the skill sets. Yes. To, uh, yeah. yeah. And let's be responsible for our words as well. Yeah. 
for action. There's this idea that words are also action. So um, it's not a lot of times people say only words or it sticks and stones may break, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but words are so much more than that. They construct who we are. Yes. And so how do we how do we engage in responsible communication as well? Well, I, I could go on with this interview for about six months or so because you <laughs> yeah. have so much to talk about. We'd be all the way down the rabbit hole on every single thing you've talked about today, that. but your words have been delightful. And I also want to call out to everyone that you do have a TEDx talk from MSU Denver that you did in 2019. So how do people find you to, um, to contact you, find out more information about not only your dialogues, but they can find your TEDx talk? Yes. Yeah, so the best way is to go to msudenver.edu. And if you just type in my name, K-A-T-I-A, and the last name is Campbell, like the soup with a P, but not yes. <laughs> so Campbell, and um, you'll find my information. And also on that same website, you can find information about the Dialogues program. And then the TED Talk is up on YouTube. Awesome. I never have looked at who watches my TEDx talk because I don't want to know. You know, I'm assuming if it's trending sometime I'll know, but I don't ever want to look and go like, oh, I didn't score like Brene Brown. You know, I did it. I put it in the world. I said, thank you, God, for getting me through that day. I didn't fall off my high shoes. Uh, I didn't sweat through my outfit. (laughs) Let's Let's talk about the important things. Uh, Well, we end every interview um, by having you draw a dream big, live big card. And because we are virtual in these days and times, I'm going to just um, pull one from the deck. You can see it's totally random. So I'm not, okay. right? You're not stacking um, the deck? I'm not <laughs> stacking the deck. So this one is Sweet Life. It's a very special card to me because it's one that honored my mom when she passed away a year ago. And it's mm-hmm. Sweet Life. It's list your blessings. So what are your blessings? Oh my goodness, how much time do I have? Yeah, six months is what we said at the beginning. But if you yeah. just think of like, what's your top three list when yeah, you think about your blessings? Three, I would have to say my family because that includes everyone, um, my core family. My mom lives with us. I'm so blessed to have her in the household. I have two teenagers and my husband. They're all incredibly supportive. I could not do this work without them. I also feel blessed to be in the position that I am at the university where I can make change and also to be at a university that I love. Um, It helps to be at a place where you enjoy working, you enjoy the people that you work with, and you feel like you're making a difference. Oh, well, I know there's a hundred more, but yeah. You know, I think you are a blessing to our community. I love that I got to know you and we have um, many good things we can do together with the Camp Experience Network of really open-hearted women um, with this great work you're doing with Dialogues and everything you're doing at MSU Denver. So thank you. On behalf of all civilization, I would like to thank you for helping conflict be productive and for taking a leadership role in that. And thank you so much for being on Boost Power Podcast. You know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And I hope some of you listening heard Katia and just said, yeah, actually, it makes sense to me that there's some thoughtfulness behind words and there's some thoughtful things where I can retain my power and make some choices that are right for what I believe in. And that there's people out there teaching that at our universities, great universities like MSU Denver, and also living it, walking that talk in um, becoming part of what I always call the possible, be part of the possible. Um, Please share this podcast with others who can benefit from our uplifting ideas, our energies, and our great stories. And please be like me. I'm thinking of going to MSU Denver in my 60s and getting a film degree. So consider how education can enhance your great life. This is your host, Betsy 
Beer's Mug. Thank you for listening to Boost Power Podcast and plugging into stories from the journey of business and life. Our music today is by singer-songwriter Megan Burt. We are recorded at Cinder Sound Studios, and we're part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Learn more at globalsisterhoodpodcastnetwork.com.